With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody, and welcome to what I think is going to be a very special edition of our show. Not only do we have a terrific guest in Antonio Tarver, a former light heavyweight champion, but also my former broadcast partner on Showtime. We also, on this show, are going to highlight and maybe to many of you reveal the schedule of boxing that will be uh, seen on Showtime Championship Boxing from August all the way through December. It is a schedule that uh, I think is really pretty exciting. In full disclosure, yes, I announced boxing for Showtime, so I may not be the most objective source. But in this case, I am capable of being objective, as you well know, over a 40-year career about the boxing that is in front of me. And I have to tell you that uh, these fights look pretty, pretty darn good. Uh, so we're going to go through that fight by fight and tell you uh, about what you can expect as boxing fans coming up in the next several months. To help me do that, uh, my co-host, my good friend, Mr. Trip Mitchell. Trip, how are you doing today? I am great. And looking at this schedule, you're not going to be home for the next three and a half, four months. <laughs> no, um, because uh, number one, uh, I'm going to do a lot of traveling because all of the fights are going to be set in a secure area at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut. I live in Las Vegas. And so, yes, I will be doing a lot of frequent flyer miles uh, over the course of the next uh, five or six months. And because of the nature of this, I'm going to have to arrive uh, several days earlier than I normally would. So I will be spending a lot of time away from home uh, and, uh, and on a lot of airplanes over the course of the next five or six months. But it, there is... Uh, I will be doing it for a very good cause because we're going to have a lot of boxing action to show boxing fans. And, you know, the, it, for this pandemic, uh, we boxing has gotten back into the fray with a lot of the cards that Top Rank and ESPN have put on over the last couple of months. And to their everlasting credit, they jumped into the fray, uh, had to work through what we all knew would be some issues in trying to figure out uh, the best way to, to put on the boxing and provided us with some pretty good boxing. Uh, it wasn't on a super championship level, though there were several title fights. And it was in preparation of a lot of the bigger fights that people knew were going to be coming. Well, I can tell you, and as we look through this schedule, which we're going to do, you will see that bigger fights are very much on the way. Uh, they may be on other platforms as well, but I know for sure, based on this schedule, that they will be on the way uh, on Showtime as well. So when you interviewed Bob Arum early in this series, 
he talked about how the whole paradigm has changed in that you don't have a live gate that makes right. up a big portion of a payday for fighters. And that in order to get great fights made, that maybe the fighters will work for less money. And that looks to be the case, though they are amply compensated. But it looks like fighters want to get out and start working again. Yeah. And as we look at this schedule, which we're going to do in a moment, most of the fights are on Showtime, on Showtime Network. Two of the matches are, in fact, pay-per-view matches. And those are the ones featuring the biggest names. Uh, and clearly, we all knew, as Bob Arum talked about with getting Vasily Lomachenko uh, against uh, Teofimo Lopez and, of course, Fury Wilder. The bigger fights, the really bigger ones, where you have no live gate, uh, in most cases, probably, you're going to have to try to put them on pay-per-view. And two of the, the uh, fights, that we, main events and fight cards that we're going to talk about here are in pay-per-view. But many, all the rest of them, though, are on Showtime Championship Boxing, where uh, on the Showtime Network where people can see them. So uh, with no, without any further ado, what do you say we dive in and start telling boxing fans what they're going to be seeing? That's great. Well, starting up in just a very short period, Saturday, August 1st, we've got a triple header coming up that is exciting just to start this thing. Yes, and I am very excited about this triple header. Uh, it, it features two young fighters fighting for the 122-pound championship, the junior featherweight uh, world title. Stephen Fulton Jr., undefeated. Angelo Leo, undefeated. Two fighters who are excellent. They are on the cusp of becoming stars in the sport of boxing. And this particular fight is going to decide which one vaults ahead and gets the first world title. That one, I think, is a 50-50 fight and also a 50-50 fight, a super bantamweight matchup featuring two very exciting young fighters, Tremaine Williams, who's undefeated, and Raisa Aleem, who is also undefeated. Uh, Aleem is 16-0, Williams is 19-0. Williams is a, a, a very hard-punching and uh, quick southpaw, and Raisa Aleem, one of the slickest boxers that I've seen in a long, long time, and he has some pop in his punches as well. And then on there, um, Joe George and Marcos Escudero, two light heavyweights who are good fighters who had a fight on Showbox uh, that was a barn burner, and they are redoing it and having a rematch on Showtime Championship Boxing on August 1st. All three of those fights are all good fights, and they are all 50-50 fights. So that is, to me, a good way to start things off. It is. And then two weeks later, you're at it again, and you've got one of the best young fighters in the sport of boxing. Yeah, on uh, August 15th, we'll be back again at the Mohegan Sun in what will be our home away from home. Uh, and on August 15th, we will have David Benavides, who, of course, uh, is the 168-pound uh, uh WBC super middleweight champion uh, taking on Romer Alex Angulo, who's a very good fighter who has 22 KOs in his 26 wins. He's got lots of power. And of course, Benavides, 19 knockouts in his 22 wins. So he is a big puncher as well. That should be an offensive explosion. Then uh, Michael Rivera and Marcos Villasana uh, 
Jr. will be battling it out for a WBC lightweight title eliminator. And also Otto Valin will take on Travis Kaufman in a heavyweight matchup. So we're going to get to see David Benavides back in action. Uh, he is a very, very exciting and uh, uh, interesting fighter who has great offense and sometimes uh, has less than perfect defense, which makes for a very exciting uh, style. And we'll see uh, how well Angulo can do against him. Should be an interesting evening. And then you've got four weeks off to meet your family again and then travel back to the Mohican Sun Saturday, September 19th. You've got a super welterweight card that you're excited about. Yeah, this matchup should be uh, really, really good. Uh, no, it, it, and uh, actually super welterweight um, with uh, Erickson Lubin and uh, Terrell Gachet. Uh, and uh, Lubin, of course, fought for the uh, super welterweight championship against um, Jermel Charlo, who you're going to hear from in just a minute or two. Uh, and Gachet also fought for a world title. Uh, and Gachet is coming in off a, a wildly exciting match in his last matchup. And Erickson Lubin has worked his way back from a, a KO loss to Jermel Charlo. That is a very, very important matchup. And the, the rest of the card also uh, uh, has some excellent fights on it. So uh, that one's going to be, I think, a, a very interesting evening of boxing as well. So the following week, you earn your pay. You don't hear <laughs> yes. about this ever in the sport of boxing, but we have a day-night doubleheader featuring the Charlo twins. How does this work? Yeah, this is really intriguing. And, and how it will work is it's really two pay-per-views in one, essentially, uh, because I think the original plan was to try and do two pay-per-views back-to-back, and that didn't work out. So what Showtime said instead was, okay, we're going to do a day-night doubleheader, in effect, with a pay-per-view card in the afternoon, and then a very small intermission, and then with some programming in there, maybe a half hour or so, and then another card. And here's what the card is. It features both Charlo twins, Jermel Charlo and Jamal Charlo, and each one will headline their portion of the pay-per-view. The afternoon pay-per-view features Jamal Charlo, uh, who is 30 and 0, the, in the middleweight division, taking on Sergei Derevichenko, who, of course, just had a terrific fight with um, Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, a fight in which many people think that Derevichenko could have won that fight, could have gotten the decision, and the WBC middleweight title is on the line in this matchup. Then to support that, Brandon Figueroa and Damian Vasquez are battling out for the, a version of the WBA Super Bantamweight Championship. That should be a good fight. And Diego Magdaleno uh, and uh, Isaac Cruz also fight, and that's an IBF title eliminator. So that's the afternoon portion of the, uh, the boxing. Then the evening portion features again one of the Charlo twins, and it's Jermel Charlo, who is, or Jermel, yeah, Jermel Charlo, the super um, welterweight champion, who is taking on another super welterweight uh, champion in Jason Rosario. Now, Jason Rosario is the man that defeated Julian Williams, who, of course, we recently had as a guest on this show, and won his version of the super welterweight title. So this is a, a unification matchup that I think 
many people are excited to see in which Charlo will put his titles on the line against Rosario on his title. Uh, and it should be a, a really terrific, um, terrific matchup. Also on that card, Mario Barrios is a very, very talented fighter uh, battling for the WBA regular super lightweight world championship, a version of their lightweight championship against Ryan Carl. Uh, and also uh, very exciting to me is the uh, battle between Daniel Roman and Emmanuel Rodriguez. Daniel Roman, a former champion of WB, uh, super bantamweight champion, taking on Rodriguez, who, who is a terrific fighter, is 19 and 1. And this is a WBC super bantamweight title eliminator. Uh, and Daniel Roman, I can tell you, is, was at one time considered among the top 15 or 20 fighters in the world, pound for pound, and still may be headed in that direction. He lost his world title, but He's a terrific fighter, an excellent young man. And so this is a very unique thing that I don't think I've ever been involved in, this kind of day-night doubleheader kind of a thing where we have the fights in the afternoon and then we have them in the evening. So a very exciting situation, I believe. How are you training for this? Uh, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to call at home. I'm going to call about 60 rounds of boxing in, uh, in front of my TV and see if I can see if I can get through it. But it's going to be very interesting. Uh, and and I, and I think it's a unique kind of a situation. And and what I like about that whole day of boxing is that there are many, many, many competitive and entertaining matches among those uh, among those fights. Well, that's fantastic. And then You've got a week off to breathe, then coming back on October 10th, you've got a welterweight title fight coming up. Yeah, we have uh, a couple of welterweights who will go after uh, the IBF championship, the interim title, which is held by Sergei Lipinets. He's going to be defending his title. And also on that card, uh, Jerron Ennis, who is one of the top welterweight young contenders uh he's 25 and 0 with 23 knockouts he is and we're not sure yet quite who he's going to be facing they're hoping to get a good really good competition for him he's the first to admit that he has not yet fought the top level of competition partially because they've had a hard time getting opponents for him he's very anxious to fight someone of note and we're hoping that uh that he can get uh somebody that will test him in, in those fights, uh, and that'll be one of the, the supporting matches uh, on that night of boxing. And so, and Sergey Lipinets, who has won that one version of the welterweight title, very, very fun and exciting fighter. And this may be setting up a future match between Ennis and Lipinets if, in fact, they both would win. Okay. Then two weeks later, you're back for another pay per view and super featherweight. And I know you're excited about this. This is going to be a great night of boxing. Yeah, this should be a lot of fun. Javante Davis uh, and Leo Santa Cruz will be battling it out. Uh, and uh, it, Davis, who has been a, a lightweight champion, uh, is going to fight this fight at super featherweight. Santa Cruz coming up, uh, and that's he can't really get to lightweight, so they're going to fight at super featherweight. The onus will be on Gervonta Davis to make the weight, which he sometimes struggle to do. But if he can get to that weight, he is he's a very tough customer. Uh, he's 23 and 0 with 22 KOs. Uh, many believe a a super future superstar in the sport. He's already a, a, a star in the sport. And Leo Santa Cruz, 37-1-1. He has won 
multiple world titles and several weight divisions. He is, a, he is an all-action, exciting fighter, and it will be interesting to see if Davis's power or Santa Cruz's volume punching can win the day here. And that is going to be, again, that's a pay-per-view matchup uh, supported by Luis Neri against Aaron Alameda. That, both undefeated, that is for a, a WBC Super Bantamweight title eliminator fight. Uh, it should be a very, very good matchup uh, and, and I think uh, is one that could help uh, support that card in a, in a great way. So that's going to be a pay-per-view matchup. Many people excited to see Davis and uh, Santa Cruz in the ring together. And then following Thanksgiving, you'll be back on the road again. You've got another super featherweight matchup that you're excited about as well. Yeah, this should be a really good, uh, a really good matchup. And it is one that features uh, Chris Colbert, uh, Chris Colbert, excuse me, who is a, a super boxer. He is undefeated. He's not a huge puncher, but very, very skilled fighter. Taking on Jaime uh, Arboleda, who is a big puncher with 13 KOs and his 16 wins. And many people believe Colbert is the future of that super featherweight division and could be uh, higher in weight class uh, as well. Uh, and there's a couple other good fights supporting that one. And so uh, that I think is going to be good. And, and, and to see Chris, a fighter that I think a lot of people are going to be excited about. That's one of the charms of that evening to get a chance to see him. And then you finish up an amazing couple months of boxing on the 12th of December and see someone that we've covered a long time ago and, and a great guy in the sport, Nanito Donaire. Yes. Yeah, you're right, Tripp. And you and I have both covered him uh, uh, on many occasions. I've, I did the fight in which he knocked out Victor Chini in, in which he announced himself to the boxing world as a terrific fighter and a superstar. And he has had an amazing resurgence in his late 30s as a fighter. Uh, and uh, his fight against Inoue, in which he lost but fought brilliantly, uh, was a fight of the year as far as many people are concerned last year. And the man he's facing for the uh, WBC Bantamweight World Championship, Nordin Ubali, is a very fine fighter. He's a very clever southpaw who is undefeated at 17-0. This is a match that I really am looking forward to. Number one, we find out how much does Nonito Donaire still have in the tank. His last performance, as I said, was spectacular. And Ubali, a fighter who believes he can be uh, a star in the sport of boxing, and he already has a world championship. So that's going to be the final piece to the puzzle of this schedule. The reason I wanted to go through all this and we wanted to show you all these fights is to really give you a good idea that there's a lot of boxing upcoming uh, the rest of this year. And again, yes, I do the boxing on Showtime and, and that's the network I work for. But I think objectively speaking, these are really good boxing matches and of high quality. And the thing that makes me feel good about it is that it's going to help the sport of boxing kind of win back the fans, not win them back because, you know, boxing didn't do anything to hurt itself in the pandemic. It just had to go away like all other sports. But I think it's going to make fans feel good about the sport coming back. And as I mentioned there, it's not just the showtime schedule. We know there are other big matches that uh, many people are going to make. We mentioned Lomachenko and, uh, uh, and Lopez and Wilder Fury and so many others. 
Uh, and uh, I know uh, the, the PBC and Fox have a number of shows that they're going to be uh, rolling out that will be great. And and so we're going to have a, a full schedule of boxing that I think is going to be uh, pretty extraordinary. Now, well, hats oh, off to everyone involved, by the way, your organization and everyone who's really busted hump to try to get this put together in a very challenging time. Yeah, it's not easy. And I, I have to say that I think this is the kind of schedule that befits uh, the network and also uh, does, uh, I think, service to the boxing fan as well. You know, you keep your fingers crossed that, all, that the fights that look good on paper end up being good in the ring. But all you can do is make matches that look interesting and you hope that they, that they follow through. But there are enough of them on these cards that I, I have to believe we're going to see some really exciting and quality boxing. A man who has been involved in quality boxing for many, many years uh, over his long career and also became a terrific sportscaster, uh, my friend Antonio Tarver. And our interview this week is with Antonio, and I have to say it's one of my favorite of the ones we've done uh, on Albernstein Unplugged. Let's take a look. Antonio, it is uh, great to visit with you. We don't get to see each other as much as, as, as you would think in the boxing world. Sometimes people don't uh, cross paths as much as they would like. Uh, so it's a wonderful chance to visit with you via uh, this show. Yes, thanks for having me, Al. But I keep up with you all the time, man. I'm on your Twitter. I see everything you're doing. It's great to see you're still moving and you're still representing the sport like only you can. Uh, thank you. Yeah, and and you too. Are you are a great Twitter follow, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that a little bit later as we as we move on. Um, of course, all boxing fans are familiar with you and the body of your work and what you've done. Uh, one of the things I wanted to start out talking about with you is something that people maybe don't always remember exactly correctly, and that is your great amateur career. You won 158 fights as an amateur. And you did something that to this day nobody else has done. In the same year, you won the U.S. Nationals, the Pan American Games, and the World Championships. And that has still never been done to this point. Your amateur career, I always say that along with Mark Breland, the two of you had almost a, a really perfect amateur careers. Uh, it was, they were just, you know, exemplary. Yeah, I really look back at my amateur career, and the thing I really feel proud about is, you know, there was a lot of naysayers, Al, telling me I was too old, you know, yeah. don't worry about it. And I'm like, no, you know what? Going to the Olympics meant that much to me. And, you know, hindsight is always 2020. And I asked myself, if I had it all over to do again, would I risk or would I gamble those two years before turning pro? I, I always look back and say, yes, you know, I'll, I'll do the same mm -hmm. thing because standing on that desk and that podium and walking on that opening ceremony track still has to be one of the most amazing moments. And watching the late, great Muhammad Ali light that torch was one of the most moving moments of my time. And, and, and I'll never forget that. Yeah, I was privileged to announce those uh, for NBC that 1996 uh, Olympic boxing and you had, you guys had a really, really good team and it was a team that ended up winning six bronze medals, which is good and was good for that time. Some of the, the boxers on that team were actually 
just reaching their prime. And I always said that had those Olympics been held six months later, there might have been gold medals and silver medals involved um, because some of the, you were kind of the elder statesman at age 27 or so yes. on that team. There were a lot of younger fighters. Um, you did stay amateur to do that, and you fought very well in the Olympics. You ended up losing to Vasily Giroff yes. uh, in a match that I actually thought you won. Uh, in fact, uh, and you know me, I never argue with my broadcast partners. You were one of them. Uh, right. I kind of almost had an argument with Steve Albert during the fight. <laughs> and I appreciate it, Al, because, man, look, no one has eyes like you that really knows, you know, the fundamentals of the game. You know, uh, and the years of your experience speaks for itself. I felt like I won the fight, but, you yeah. know, it's another thing when you didn't have no support from the people that you look for support from in a moment like that. It's like, you know, I didn't have that support, so it really didn't get a lot of attention. But when I look at my professional career and the things I was able to accomplish, and then you look at Vasily Giroff's body of work, I, I think it kind of tells you who was the better fighter overall. And I think I got the goal in the pros. He got the goal in the amateurs. <laughs> did you, yeah. Did you feel like you didn't have that kind of support from the, the U.S. people, uh, team, team uh, hierarchy at that point? At that time. At that time, yeah. I, I did. Because I know I you am. speak fondly of your amateur experience and some of your experiences with them. Yeah, I do. I mean, they'll always be my brothers, and uh, the, the memories will last forever. That was a very uh, instrumental development stage for myself. You know, the first time that, you know, I got familiar with the media and the cameras and how that, you know, because it was a, definitely a transition. And I think that I, I learned that transition well, and it really carried over into uh, my professional career. But yeah, you know, working alongside and watching the development stages of young future legends like Floyd Mayweather, I mean, Fernando Vargas, David right. Reed, who won the gold medal with one punch, not with a one punch knockout over the Cuban. Um, I mean, that team was stacked, man. And I, yeah, like you said, a little more organization, a little bit more maturity. I think I can see us winning three, four more gold medals there yeah. in, in 96. Yeah, that's for sure. You, you may have talked about how you guys had a, a good camaraderie uh, on that team. And, uh, and there were, there were a lot of great moments. Uh, and you talk about, I saw it in a number of interviews and you've said it many times that the amateur experience and what you went through in, uh, in terms of fighting in national competition and international competition really helped you in terms of uh, di finding discipline. It did. I mean, for the first time in my life, it, it, I think it was structure that from where I came from in boxing, there were really not a whole lot of structure. But when you made that national team, you made that, uh, you represented the USA. You knew, you know, that things had was changing. Things were different. Right. People had an expectation of you. So it was just a lot of structure that really helped me hone my skill and in, in, in my development. I think a great amateur career really lends to a solid professional career. Yeah, it certainly did that with you. Now, the interesting thing is you referenced your age and uh, how you <laughs> stayed an extra couple of years in the amateur ranks to fight in the Olympics. So you got a late start. You started your professional career at age 28. And 
and did not, this is what also some people, I think sometimes it's hard to remember everything with different athletes. People may not really realize this. You did not get your first shot at a world title until you were 34 years of age when you fought Montel Griffin. And of course you won the world title. So uh, that was an advanced age for someone to win the world title. Yeah, I never thought about that, Al. I never thought about that, that I, I didn't get my shot until later. All of the, I mean, Floyd Mayweather was a champion, I think probably 12 months within a year. Yeah. After the Olympics, he, he won it early. Fernando was, you know, won it early. Yeah. Uh, David Reed even held the WBC, right. uh, WBA uh, championship. So, yeah, I was one of the last ones to get that break, but uh, it was worth it. I think, you know, even being patient, and just waiting my time. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody has a different time clock right. development. And I think when I got my shot, even having my first loss was pivotal, pivotal with me winning the championship. Because if you look at the way when Canelo fought Mayweather, everybody knows he wasn't developed. He wasn't experienced right. then. It was a perfect pick for Mayweather at that yeah. time. But if he would have fought Canelo maybe eight months, even to a year later, and let him get one or two more key fights in, it could have been a total different mm -hmm. fight. And I think, I think hindsight is always twenty twenty. If Roy Jones probably would have fought me when he should have, he probably win a close decision. You never hear from the Magic Man again. But because of the controversial decision, I had to chase him down. I had to go to Pensacola. You know everything I had to do, Al, to get that fight. And when it when it when my time came after avenging that loss to Eric Harding, I was ready. I had developed the tough skin that it would take. I developed the mindset and mm -hmm. I and I showed to myself that I could come back and avenge a loss. At that time I was ready to become champion. Yeah, very well put. And that is that is precisely what happened. You, your era in the light heavyweight um, during that period, I'm going to say era because it was a, it was a time, uh, a specific time we can look at in the light heavyweight division. And there have been, you know, recently I was doing a project with Eddie Mustafa Muhammad who fought uh, during Great the 70s time. and 80s during that amazing time with the yes. light heavyweight <laughs> division. And we even were chatting, you know, because and he worked against you when he was training yes. uh, Chad Dawson. Chad Dawson. Great, mad respect for you, of course. But we, your time as a light heavyweight champion is kind of defined by three fighters, all terrific, who who fought each other, which is the way it's supposed to be, right? And right. created great fights. You, Glenn Johnson, who res, who who had a fascinating career that yes. also got really going later, and Roy Jones Jr. Of course, you ended up one and one against Glenn Johnson, though one was a split decision. And you won two out of your three against Roy Jones Jr. And yes. of course, all of those could have been wins as well. But the three of you created a really good time for the light heavyweight division. I believe so. Yeah, I think when you look at Roy Jones, man, he, he set the bar so high, Al. It, and it's no wonder people just was uh, blown away by the fact that anyone could even reach that plateau. Yeah. And it, it was just a lot of focus on my part. Uh, it was a long, long, hard run. But, you know, um, it, it, it just happened. I think when you look back at Roy Jones and I career, starting from when we first fought, 
at 13, 13 years old, man, um, here in the Sunshine State games. I, I think sometime in life, you know, you find someone that you can really, really truly say that you've been parallel with this guy right. for years, for years. And a lot of people don't understand, Al, or may not know. And I'm going to give you this, this little nugget. Man, man, Roy Jones inspired me. He inspired me to get off the couch after witnessing him get robbed in the 1988 Olympics. And I ran three miles instantly, not knowing where I was going. And I've been running ever since. So, you know, getting off of that couch at that time, that particular moment in my life meant a lot to me. Because if That's I didn't get up, if I didn't get up then, I'd probably still be sitting there and never would have ever been able to, you know, there would have probably never been another magic man. Hmm. But Thanks to Roy Jones Jr., that moment, seeing him in the Olympics, after knowing that we had done the ring at 13 years old and I fought him competitively, I asked myself, why am I sitting here wasting my life away hmm. when I could be right there representing my country in the Olympics? And I made up my mind at that moment that I was going to become something. I was going to become the best fighter I could be. And I got a lot to thank Roy Jones Jr. for. How fascinating, isn't it, that the man who you would be most associated with as, your, as a rival is the one that inspired you to, to reach those, those great heights. Um, now, so you are known for many things in life, but one of the things that you're, greatest know, that you're known for is the famous quote, uh, <laughs> when you guys came to the center of the ring after you'd lost – a very close decision, and you said to him, Roy, what's your excuse this time? Uh, uh, two questions about that. Did you, when did you plan that out, or was it spontaneous? I'm going to give you another little nugget, Al. <laughs> uh, at the time, I had a great friend of mine, Charles Muniz, who was working as my manager agent. Yeah. And, and in the hotel room, Charles Muniz brought that, to my attention, and it, it kind of dared me to say it, you know, and, and, and I didn't know I was going to say it, Al, until I got in the ring at that time, but he made sure I remembered that if I was going to say it, I better have said it then, and I don't know why I said it. It was just one of those things that I felt that at, that's what the fight meant to me. Yeah. That whatever happened after we touched these gloves, you know, whether I get knocked out, whether he get knocked out, but, but we're going to go down in history. And I just felt that, Al. I, I just felt that it was going to be a special moment. I didn't know how it would end up. I knew that I trained to win. I trained to be successful that night. I actually trained to knock Roy Jones out because I didn't think I could win a decision. Yeah. And I think that edge, knowing I had to do more in that training camp, really pushed me push me to places that I didn't even think I can reach. I think that every fan and every boxing observer was so taken with the audacity of what you did <laughs> at that moment and the way you did it with such conviction. Here's a question. Do you think it had, I mean, of course, Roy Jones Jr. is one moment is not going to turn a fight. Define but his career, you think right. he was shocked that you did it. Um, he had to be a little bit, yeah. I mean, taken aback 
<laughs> I don't know how long it lasted on his mind. I don't know. The that fight didn't last in, very long. Right, right. That wasn't my intention, yeah. but I just wanted to make a statement. And uh, I think the statement was made. Yeah, boy, was it ever, that's for sure. Um, one of the interesting things about, about you that is really interesting and fascinating to me. So Antonio Tarver is a couple different people like we all are, right? We all have different sides to our personality. But one of the things that when you were leading up to a fight, you had uh, ref refined the art of trash talking to a very high genre, okay? <laughs> you, you worked at it. And it was... And, and I always felt, and of course, we're going to get into a moment, in a moment, we're going to get to your acting. I almost felt like it was a, I felt it was kind of a role you were playing, but a very sincere role. And that you felt that was a part of your mission to, to try and get any edge you could on your opponent. Is, is that the case? Honestly, no. I, honestly. Okay, was, that's interesting. I, I, honestly, I, I was being mean. I was being okay. me. I, I've always been animated. I've always been, you know, uh, over the top when, when it comes down to things. And I just felt like watching great fighters like Muhammad Ali, Sugar Ray Leonard, and, and seeing the moments and how they were able to really express themselves mm -hmm. through boxing, really to let people in on, on, their, on their personalities. I felt like that's what I wanted to do. Uh, I knew they thought I was acting. That's why... When you know, I always interesting had a good time at it, but underneath all of that, I was always sincere, and if I said it, I meant it. I really felt it in my heart. Interesting. You know, yeah. here's here's the part about that that's fascinating. So, when you um, it was so convincing, and it got under a lot of people's skins, right? I mean, the the fighter, the people around the fighter, the fans of that fighter. You were good at annoying all those people right and 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 the Antonio Tarver that of course I know as a person and that I had such an enjoyable time working with who is such a you know just completely great guy uh I'll say that you know I'm, I'm praising Thank you yeah. <laughs> in front of you but it's true it's just a true statement I remember when you were going to come on you were so convincing in that that when you were coming on the Showtime uh boxing and somebody said to me, they said, well, wow, I mean, how, how are you going to be able to work with this guy? Look at him. He's so, he's so uh, uh, difficult. He's so, you know, <laughs> right. he's such a, such a crazy man. And, and I said, no, no, that's not really Antonio Tarver. They, they were so, um, you know, that part of you, that competitive zeal of you. And I said, no, no, you don't understand. That's not really, that's Antonio doing his job. But it's oh, fascinating. That, but it was, it was genuine. They didn't think I could change hats. Huh? They didn't yeah, right. They didn't realize that you would do that, but then you were somebody else. Now let's talk about your, uh, your, uh, you as a broadcaster. You, uh, I was uh, privileged to be a part of your broadcasting uh, when you got into broadcasting. First, you got on the Showbox series on yes. Showtime, in which you worked with Steve Farhood and. Um, uh, I think was Nick still there? Nick, Nick Charles. Char Nick Charles, rest his yeah. soul. Yes. And and I filled in a couple times when Nick wasn't feeling well before he right. passed away of cancer, and then you ended up on our Showtime Championship series. Um, I always thought that your broadcasting style, and and to this day, you still continue to do broadcasting, 
Thank you. One of the things I love about it, and I'm curious to know if this is uh, by design or if it's just the natural way you do it, you're very, you, you let the fight breathe. You say exactly the amount of words you feel you need to say and no more. Al, I think when working with professionals like you, Nick and Steve, you know, you learn that. And I think when to be a great partner, it has to be uh, some amount, uh, amount of respect there. And I've always felt that, you know, uh, I had no problem, you know, deferring to the senior, you know, the seniors on that broadcast team. Mm. And I felt comfortable in doing that. And I felt that no matter where we were at, you would have my back. I know that, right. you know, I'm going to have your back. And Absolutely. we're going to make it as smooth as possible. There was never any competition no. with us. It was just we knew we had a job to do. And I loved it because we called it like we saw it. Even yes. when we were in disagreement with each other, it was okay to disagree. Right. But I respected your opinion always. Yeah, you know, very seldom would we have a different take, but I thought it was fascinating when we did because it gave people two sides of a, and I often, if I would say something and, and you would say, well, you know, no, I, I see it this way. What I love about that is even while you're doing a broadcast and, and if somebody makes the other a different point about it, I find it fascinating because I was sitting there at just like the fans saying, oh, okay, that's a really good point. I hadn't looked at it that way. Uh, and, and, and even when on those rare occasions where we might do that, there were two things we didn't do. We didn't carry the debate on for three minutes, which, no. and, which is good. And number two, we didn't, we didn't take center stage with our debate. We were simply focusing it on the fight, and this was two different viewpoints. And I, I just think that we really fed off each other. I mean, sometimes you got people that, that work, you work well together. Sometimes yeah. you work great with. I think our connection just was, you know, it was phenomenal in a lot of ways. Yeah, I learned I agree. a lot. I learned a lot. And I, I learned from the best. So, you know, I could pat myself on the back for that. <laughs> well, you took it very seriously. You, you know, uh, you, I said this uh, on a bunch of different occasions. And uh, you were interested, really interested in doing that. Just like you were as a boxer. You know, you, you worked hard. You focused on being the very best you could be. And that's the way, uh, the way you approach broadcasting as well. Um, and you, you being an eclectic man of many, uh, of many talents and interests, of course, you had your uh, experience in acting, uh, and, uh, and it was an iconic experience. Because <laughs> you, 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 like, 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 you know, a lot of the things you did in boxing, it's something that's lasted. Your, your role as Mason Dixon in the, in the Rocky Balboa movie, that had, and I know you've said many times that that was a wonderful experience for you. It was unbelievable. I pinch myself today when I think about it. I'm still wondering why I haven't got that call from Creed yet, but, you know, we're going to talk to them about that. <laughs> that would be yeah, natural, really, wouldn't it? It would be. It would be. Um, yeah, Sylvester Stallone really did uh, a great, great job in uh, bringing me on and, and training me. And I'll never forget, we studied about a month straight, just learning our script, learning my lines. Mm -hmm and learning how to be professional on set. You know, have a total, under, a, a different understanding for time if you work with Sylvester Stallone, because he don't waste his time, trust me. So uh, that was a crazy experience, man. Um, and even uh, 
doing a little bit of directing the fight scenes. He trusted me with right. that. And, and that was, I think, one of the biggest things I learned, you know, how to work a scene in Hollywood. And, um, and that was an unbelievable experience. And I'm grateful to this day for that opportunity. That was fascinating. Now, are you, would you like to continue to do some more acting? Most definitely. Uh, we're working on some things right now, uh, working on some things. Uh, actually, uh, I'm a uh, part owner of a, a film company, Signature oh, Punch cool. Films, and, and we're doing some projects right now. I want to, uh, I can let you in on one, uh, Taurus Take, in which we really chronicalize uh, me training with upstart prospects. And I travel to Vegas, I go to Cleveland, I go to Miami. And, and then we go to a gym, we talk to the trainers, and then we film how it is and how I actually work with other fighters, top fighters. That's so great. that's going to be coming out. We're pitching that now. And uh, I um, want to do my documentary for sure. I got my book coming out, Al, hopefully by the end of the year. So we've been busy. Well, we'll definitely have you on to promote that. Yeah, we've been busy, man. Uh, but what I really want to talk about, Al, is I believe I uh, have a real sleeper in the welterweight division. And Harold Calderon from Miami, King Calderon, uh, just signed him. I'm a, a business partner with Signature Punch. It's a, a management company here in Tampa. Okay. And I'm working hand-to-hand -hand with them and developing young champions and young future stars here in the Tampa Bay area. You know we've had some of the most uh, unique talent in this Tampa Bay area with Winky Wright, yes. Jeff Lacey, myself, Keith Thurman. I mean – this is a, a melting pot for talent here. And I just want to be the one that discovers it, hone it, and get these guys to the next level. That's what I'm trying to work on right now, Al. Let's talk about him for a second, King Calderon. What, what do you see in him that is so special? And how, where do you see him fitting into the bigger picture? Well, like always, sometimes it's just opportunity, Al. I mean, these guys has, have not been associated with the people that can get them to that next right. level. And I think that's the problem here in Tampa for a lot of fighters. You know, they get beat up here locally where there's just no advancement. And I just want to be the connector to the big stage in boxing. I've had relationships with some of the most prominent people in the game, Showtime, some of the biggest networks, ESPN. So, you know, I want to do everything in my power with my relationship to bridge those gaps and give these young fighters that opportunity that I had. It could make a world of difference. We don't know who Harold Calderon is because he hasn't had a chance to prove right. it yet. You know, but I believe from what I see, I think he's a sleeper. I mean, I think his body work, when you, he goes to the body, his defensibility, and the fact that, you know what, sometimes he's vulnerable makes it for an interesting fight. His style right. makes for an interesting fight. I don't think he can be in a boring fight. Which is exciting. And this is kind of you being involved in this, and I, which brings me also to my next part of my questioning, makes is a perfect transition for you in life now uh, for you to be able to impart not only your knowledge to these people, but also these young fighters, but also to be able to help them. Your son is a professional uh, and, uh, and you're watching him grow as a pro. That has to be a very special feeling just emotionally. It is, Al, but I'm going to be the first one to tell you, it's not always easy. That that no. father-son father dynamic is real, yeah. uh, not even, I wouldn't say difficult, I'll say uh, delicate one. It's yeah. delicate. 
you know, uh, but, you know, right now, if Junior makes up in his mind, and a lot of times, Al, what I try to pass down to these fighters, that mindset, that mindset of a champion is real. I mean, you can be, everyone has strength, everyone is strong, everyone has conditioning, but what's between your ears, I think, takes you so far. It takes you farther than your body could ever take you. Interesting. And so that's what I try to tell these fighters. Everything has to be connected mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. So, you know, with, with my experiences, I think I can just help these guys because I've, I've been there, Al. And if they can yeah. lean on that experience and make it their own, then they're really benefiting from the relationship. You know, I think it is true that box uh, in any field of endeavor, and I've heard this so much from, uh, for the most part, boxing, this is an intriguing thing that I kind of researched a little bit when I was doing this project with Eddie Mustafa Muhammad. Most of the, the boxing trainers, and I know you're not specifically just training, but even advisors and people that work with fighters have not been high championship level which doesn't demean their knowledge and many great trainers are great trainers, but there haven't some, there haven't been that many that were fantastic fighters. And I believe that when a boxer, you know, hears something from somebody like you, it carries with it more weight. Do you sense that? It can, it can, uh, especially in my situation, because, you know, I think what really lends to the training aspect with me is communication. I'm yeah. able to speak these guys' language because I've been through it. Right. You know, I've been through everything that they can possibly go through. Yeah. I've been through it. Now, the, the unique part is that I'm willing. I've been to the Olympics. For any amateur I can work with, give yeah. them that motivation. Any professional, I've been to the mountaintop. To have a guy like me that's willing to lend my time, my experience, and efforts, that's a gem within itself. Yeah, and how, and how these fighters aren't clamoring for this knowledge is beyond me. Even the guys that are right now out at the top of the yeah. top of the food chain, right? You know, but like me, you didn't have to take me to the water. I was thirsty. You, you feel me? Right. I was thirsty for it. I, I looked for it. I sought it out. Knowledge and education when it came to boxing, but also I was I was blessed to have some of the biggest and best mentors in the game, Jimmy Williams. I lost oh. my great trainer last year, yeah. 92 years young, you know, and, and that's why, you know, I believe his, his methods of training has to, I have to, I have to teach and train because he would want me to, you know, he would want me to give back to the, the, the guys that are coming up yeah. after me. So, uh, and Buddy McGirt, one of the best minds in the yeah. game today, and, you know, we've had some enormous victories and, and, yes. and we've done some amazing things. And then my last trainer, Orlando Cuellar, who I believe between the rounds can compete with anybody. Those are the three guys that shape That's a, that's a good trio. Hey, tell me about it, Al. It's <laughs> a good trio. And, and three interesting men, different in many ways, and yet – each one with their each one has that innate ability to communicate boxing and motivate. Yes, yes, and that's what I take a, a little bit from each yeah. one of their games. That's great. That's great. Now you, uh, so one of the things that we're we're all made up of different parts, as we said, and some of the things that uh, the 
I always look at what people do for recreation and what they their passions. Uh, and one of the passions you have is the game of golf, which you love. <laughs> and I know that from working with you and 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 the, uh, hearing you talk about it. And how did that passion start for you? And what kind of uh, role did, has it played in your life? You know, it's crazy because the first time I went to the golf course was back in 1997. My trainer, Jimmy Williams, took me to the golf course. He had some left-hand wood clubs. i okay. never forget. They were wood in 98, 97. And we went to the – I went there just two days ago, Al. It was on Bears in Nebraska here in Tampa. It's an old driving range. I went over there. Jimmy told me that the golf swing is just like a boxing punch. Mm. And you want to you wanna really look at the dynamics of the golf swing. And he said, you don't swing hard to hit hard. You swing, you punch with precision. Right. Everything with him was precision. Everything with him was timing, execution. You know, um, and so the golf swing, when you look at how you move your hips, how you come through smooth with the golf swing, that's just like a boxing punch, effortless. When you hit that ball sweet, you know you hit it sweet. It's the same thing with the boxing punch. He says, you don't want to throw with aggressiveness. You want to mm -hmm. throw with with swift, you want to be stealth, you want to be quick. And so boxing was one of the, I mean, foundation, balance was a, a key to the golf swing. And that's why he took me out there to learn control of my body. And really, it, it allowed me to really get control of my mind as well as my body and bring them all in one accord. That's what the golf swing does for me. That's how I translate it to boxing. Intriguing, isn't it, that something uh... – and it just shows you that something that was recreation that you enjoyed so much actually has some um, impact on what you do professionally. This so often that happens, doesn't it? Yes, yes. My, my trainer really, uh, he, he taught me something then. Yeah, that's and, intriguing. And then, and then it became more than just, okay, I'm going to go out here and work on my balance. I hit that golf ball one day. I hit it sweet, and I made a putt, and I've been coming back ever since. <laughs> Hey, that's the thing about golf. I have not been a lifelong golfer, but I know so many people that have. Once you get hooked, it's like narcotics, isn't it? Yeah, you can't put it I mean, it down, it's like man. taking a drug. <laughs> and you know why? <laughs> it's the competition. That's the only place yeah. where I can get challenged to the point where, you know, I get that adrenaline going. I'm down the stretch with two holes to go. Yeah. I might be one or two strokes down, you know, coming from behind to win it all. I mean, that golf keeps me and my boy Winky Wright connected. We play golf about twice a week. Oh, we interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's Winky's doing really well. And, of course, sometimes on the golf course, I know occasionally there may be a bet involved. <laughs> just Once a small a one. Yeah, just a small one. <laughs> yeah, a small one, exactly. Antonio, what a, a delight to visit with you. Uh, I so much appreciate you coming on the show. I treasure no the time that we had together, uh, working together. I hope we can do it in the future again. I know you, you continue to, to uh, do commentating and broadcasting when the yes. opportunity arises. Maybe we'll get to work some fights together again. I mean, that'll be a dream come true, Al. Let all the guys know at Showtime I say hello. Tell I Steve, Steve I say hello, and I miss you guys. I miss you too. And hopefully after all this stuff is over, uh, we'll, uh, we'll get together uh, and uh, 
and, and get some time together too. Sounds good. And listen, there's nothing like those after fight dinners that we had at Showtime, man. Those still, they ranks up there right, right up there at the top of my experiences with Showtime. I'll tell you what we had, and we've talked, I've talked about it in this show with other people that I've had on, you know, <laughs> from Showtime. It, there, we have had more laughs and more fun with those dinners two nights before the show uh, where we all get together. And it's always such, it, it, always such an eclectic group, yes. uh, you know, an interesting group of people and everybody brings their own experiences to bear on it. And it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of laughs. Occasionally there'll be a little bonding. bit of prodding going on. Yes, a lot of bonding <laughs> going on, a lot of bonding going on. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's fun. Antonio, thank you so much. Thank you, Al. Appreciate it. Thank right, you Lee, for having me. I appreciate it. You guys be good. We'll have Thank you again. You. We'll have you back again when your book is out so we can promote that. And anytime you want to talk boxing, Al, I'm here for you. You know that. You got it. Thank you All so right, much. All right, my man. Take care. Y'all be good. All and right. Stay bye -bye. safe out there. Coronavirus free. Yeah, you too. Stay, stay safe. safe out there. All right, Take guys. care. Take care. Bye-bye. So that was our chat with uh, Antonio Tarver. I, I love the way he frames his answers about boxing and about all the different experiences he had. And I was... I found it really interesting when he told us the true story about how um, it was suggested to him to say that to Roy Jones Jr. And he bought into the idea and uh, said what something that was so audacious, it just caught everyone's attention. Yeah. And, you know, what's funny is when you get a chance to hear these stories, it just adds a whole context to boxing that yeah. that's the beauty of it. That's why this show is so much fun. You get to hear the extra stuff that you haven't heard of. Yeah, I agree. I learned during this interview with Antonio Tarver, I learned a lot and I've covered Antonio Tarver, you know, much of his career. I announced a number of his fights. So I knew a lot of information about Antonio coming in and he told me things in this interview, like, like the genesis of uh, that phrase he uttered to Roy Jones Jr. Uh, that were surprising to me. So, uh, so you can always learn, that's for sure. Now, next week, we're going to have a, a gentleman on who is one of my favorites to work with. Uh, he's a terrific writer and a broadcaster that many of you seen, have seen. Dave Bontempo is going to be visiting with us. And uh, I, date, I go all the way back with him to the top-ranked boxing series back in the um, mid-'80s and late-'80s and early-'90s when Dave and I worked on many, many cards together. So we're looking forward to that. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to getting on with the, the that's big schedule of Showtime Boxing that I'm going to get to be doing. My thanks, as always, to Tripp uh, for his fine work. And we'll see you next time.